Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. I don't normally uh, buy the OK magazine. In fact, I don't normally I don't buy any magazine. Uh, but I was browsing through the, the OK magazine some time ago, and I suddenly realized that I was holding the hermeneutical key. The key that would unlock the meaning of the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel. I kid you not, the key that would unlock the, the whole meaning of the Beatitudes was found in the OK magazine. Because as I was paging through this magazine, I suddenly realized that these are the people that we say are okay, are well off, are blessed. The famous, the rich, the successful, the assertive and the powerful, and of course the good looking. And we say, yes, they are okay. And we as a society envy them. We want to be like them because we too want to be okay. We want to be sorted. We want to be the blessed, the well to do. And then of course Jesus comes along and he turns our whole society logic upside down. Because he claims that the poor in spirit, those who are spiritually bankrupt, are Okay, well off, blessed. He claims it's the meek, those who mourn, those who are persecuted, are the ones who should be in okay magazine. Is he for real? I mean, how can that be? How can those who mourn and those who are persecuted and the poor in spirit be okay, well off, and blessed? Well, in order to truly understand what's going on in the Beatitudes, we need to understand the bigger context. The story again of Israel, that, as you will remember, Israel was God's chosen nation, and it was through Israel that God was going to bring salvation to the whole world. Of course, as the story goes on, when you read the Old Testament, Israel turns its back on God, and as a result, she goes off into exile, but a, a, a faithful remnant returns. But things don't work out the way they expect. Israel isn't the powerful nation they expected her to be. Israel isn't the light to the nation. She isn't bringing salvation to the nations, but rather, Israel is oppressed by Roman occupation. And as a result, the Jews feel weak, powerless, and oppressed. And it's in this context that they are waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, the new King, who is going to usher in the Kingdom of God. Now, the Kingdom of God is a very important concept that you need to understand if you read in the Gospels. Effectively, the kingdom of God is the realm where God rules and reigns. In other words, it's the place, it's the realm where God's will is done exactly as He wants it to be done. God's will is obeyed just as it is obeyed in heaven. That's why Jesus says we should pray, Your kingdom come, your will 
be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so they're waiting for the Messiah to come to usher in God's kingdom and effectively put the world to right. Turn this upside-down world the right way up. And they're hoping that the Messiah will fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah, such as Isaiah 61 and verse 1, which says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So they're waiting for the Messiah to come, to usher in God's kingdom, to decisively put the world to right, to turn this upside-down world the right way up. And it's within this context that we read, first of all, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. Is this, is this Mike rubbing or something? Hopefully it's better now. So it's good. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So you see what's happening. Jesus is ushering in the kingdom. He's going around and he's preaching the kingdom of God. He's coming, the good news of the kingdom, and he's healing the sick and those who are suffering from pain and illness and demon possession. He is, the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. He is slowly putting this upside-down world the right way up. And therefore, it's good news. And when he gets to the Beatitudes, effectively what Jesus is doing is he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. It's already said that in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23 that he was going about teaching the good news of the kingdom. And then you have this phrase, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And that phrase appears twice, right at the beginning of the Beatitudes and at the end, in verse 3 and verse 10, and it forms like a bracket around the Beatitudes, to say that this is good news about the kingdom. So the Beatitudes is an announcement. It's a proclamation of good news. And the good news is that the kingdom of God is breaking in, in and through Jesus' ministry. And the really good thing is, Jesus is saying, this crowd of people are included. So yeah, the verse after he's uh, it, sorry, chapter five and verse one says, "Now when he saw the crowds and went up on the mountainside and sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them." So the crowd is following him, and he's teaching his disciples. Now the disciples there 
aren't the 12 disciples. Jesus only calls the 12 disciples in chapter 10. Disciples is more loosely referring to any follower of Jesus. That was what disciple means. And it's this crowd. This crowd of people that have been following. Those who have been ill. Those who have been demon-possessed. Those who are suffering. It's the untouchables in the tribes in India that have come to him. It's those people who have been excluded. It's those who have been excluded from religious institutions like the synagogue and the temple. It's those people who have been excluded from society in general. The marginalized, the rejected. This is the crowd that is following Jesus. And they all sit down and Jesus starts teaching them. And Jesus... uh, You know, this is what Jesus calls them. He calls them, in verse 3, the poor in spirit. Those who are spiritually bankrupt, spiritually zeros, deficient. In other words, those who have been excluded from synagogue and temple, who have been excluded and rejected by religious institutions. In verse 4, he calls them those who mourn, those who are brokenhearted and are weeping. In verse 5, he calls them the meek. These are the weak, the powerless, the oppressed. In verse 6, he calls them those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are the people who are longing to see justice, the world put to right. It could be referring to their own sins and past that they want to be put right, but more likely, they have been victims of great injustice. And they're longing to see it put right. They're longing to see justice. He calls them the merciful in verse 7. Worldly wisdom would say, woe to the merciful. Because people would take advantage of you. These people have been taken advantage of. Blessed are the poor in heart. The world would say, these people are too honest for their own good. He calls them the peacemakers in verse 9. These are the poor fellows who are stuck between the two, trying to do what is right, appreciated by nobody, and rejected by everybody. In verse 10, he calls them the persecutors. These are the people who have been persecuted because they have refused to comply to the evil systems. They have refused to turn a blind eye to the injustice. They have stood up for what is right, and they have been persecuted. In verse 11 and 12, we discover that they've been persecuted merely for following Jesus. Like the Christians in India. And Jesus looks at this crowd who have been excluded, marginalized, oppressed, persecuted. And he tells them good news. He says, I've got good news for you. The kingdom of God is breaking in. And you know what? You're included. The world might have rejected you, but God is including you. That's the good news of the Beatitudes. Now, many people have misinterpreted the Beatitudes. I've misinterpreted the Beatitudes in the past as a list of things I need to do. 
I don't know if you've ever read it like that. As if it's a, a legalistic list of things you need to do so that you can be included in the kingdom of God. That's not good news. That's bad news. <laughs> that leads to a theology of salvation by works where you have to do stuff to be included. Other people have read it and interpreted it as though it's a philosophy about how to have a happy life. If that was true, then Jesus is wrong. Because those who mourn often don't get comforted. The meek don't inherit the earth. And those who long to see justice often take that longing to the grave. Furthermore, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit because they're poor in spirit. As if being poor in spirit is a good thing in and of itself. As if mourning and being meek and being persecuted is a good thing in and of itself. It's not. Jesus is saying, you are blessed despite your unfavorable circumstance. And the reason you are blessed is because God has included you in the key's kingdom. The Beatitudes are not a legalistic list of things we need to do in order to enter the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes is not a philosophy of how to live life so you can experience happiness. The Beatitudes is Jesus' announcement of good news. That the kingdom of God has broken into the world in and through Him. And through a relationship with Jesus, through becoming a follower of Jesus, everyone is included. No one is excluded. Even this, this crowd who has been excluded and rejected and marginalized by religious institutions and by society at large is included. And therefore, they can be considered blessed. See, Jesus is also correcting false assumptions. People in that day would look at such a rejected, excluded, and marginalized group of people and they would assume God has rejected them. God has despised them. Jesus is turning that logic upside down. He's saying God hasn't rejected them and despised them, but rather God welcomes them and considers them blessed. When do these promises get fulfilled? When does this become a reality? Well, the first beatitude in verse 3 and the last beatitude in verse 10, which forms a bracket, as I said earlier, around all of the other beatitudes, is in the present tense. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a present reality. Because Jesus has come and the kingdom of God has broken in to the world, in and through him, we can already experience that reality, we are already part of the kingdom. We can already experience that comfort, that uh, being fulfilled, that uh, being shown mercy. We can experience it now. It's a present reality. 
However, all the other six Beatitudes are in the future tense. It says you will be comforted. You will inherit the earth. You will be filled. You will be shown mercy. They will see God. They will be called the sons of God. This is what scholars call the now, but not yet. It's both. It's already a present reality. That group of marginalized people can already experience that comfort, that mercy. Because Jesus has already brought the kingdom and made it a present reality. But it's only when Jesus returns will the kingdom be fully realized. It's only when Jesus returns that the world that is upside down will be completely put the right way up. Now we can see God through the eyes of faith. Then we'll see God face to face. The now but not yet nature of the kingdom. Are you feeling poor in spirit? Do you feel that maybe you don't belong in church or you don't fit into church, you don't get on with religious folk? Are you mourning? Do you feel rejected and excluded? Well, if so, there is good news. That because the kingdom has broken in through in and through Jesus, because of a relationship with Jesus, we can be included and welcomed into the kingdom of God. We can experience that comfort from God now, that mercy from God now. We can see God now. And we have a great hope for when Jesus returns. But this good news is not just for us. It's for our communities. It's for the whole world. For Jesus welcomes all into his kingdom. Even those who don't qualify for OK Magazine. Even the outcasts in our society. The poor the marginalized, the fat, the bald, the ugly, the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the redundant, the jobless, the prostitutes, homosexuals, those with HIV, drug dealers, they all included and welcomed through a relationship with Jesus. There will be the rich and the famous and the socially elite there too. They too belong. And Jesus looks at that crowd as he would look to those tribal people in India, the untouchables, and he says, you're okay. You're blessed. Because yours is the kingdom of God. Everyone is included. Not surprising. Of course, Jesus, if you follow the Gospels, goes and hangs out with those kind of people. Those who are despised and rejected. And his critics say, he's a friend of sinners, and he even eats with them. Sometimes we might feel, well, actually, I wish the kingdom of God wasn't open to everyone. But it is. 
For that is the heart of God. And God has commissioned us as His church to go and proclaim the good news that the kingdom is open to all. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we marvel at your love and your grace. How that you come and you accept us, you love us, you welcome us. Not because of anything we have done, not because we're sorted, not because how spiritual we are, not because how good we are, but only because how good Jesus is. You proclaim good news and you welcome us. And we thank you for that. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the marginalized around us. Give us your eyes to see Give us your heart to love. And give us your hands to minister your grace. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.